We have, for the last two weeks, been looking at the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah, and we're going to continue to do that today. And so the series on Jonah, a reluctant prophet, a redeeming God, and the last two weeks we've looked at the reluctant prophet, and of course we'll look at that a little bit again today, but focusing today more on a redeeming God. Going to read from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Going to read the whole chapter. Going to do that briefly from the New Living Translation. At least that's what I have. I think that may be what's on the screen. I hope so. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Now keep in mind, Jonah was just vomited up on a beach somewhere. So that's where we left him, covered in fish vomit, whatever that looks like, on a beach. And uh, the Bible says on dry land, so that means he probably wasn't even in the water. I mean, I would rather be vomited up, maybe in the water a little bit, clean off before the dry land. So that's where we leave him. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city, No one, not even the animals, from your herds and your flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So today, as I mentioned, I'm going to preach from this idea, a redeeming God. I lived in St. Louis for 23 years, and during that time, I, I was a Cardinal fan and For a brief period of time, I was also a fan of the St. Louis Rams. And primarily, it was during one particular time or time period when Kurt Warner was the quarterback for the St. Louis Rams. and I, I was looking for redemption stories. And you hear that word talked about in sports all the time. And it's a great redemption story. And I found this, and of course, I knew Kurt Warner's history. He was from a small college in Iowa, went to Northern Iowa University and sat on the bench. He was a third-string quarterback until his senior year of college. And then when he finally got an opportunity to start, he was the conference player of the year. But being from small college and only one year's worth of work, he wasn't drafted. And so he got invited, though, to attend the Green Bay Packers training camp in 1994 and he tried out but before the season he was cut never got a snap never got to play 
So he found himself bouncing around, playing in the Arena Football League and doing really good things in the Arena Football League, but not making much money. And so he ended up bagging groceries at a grocery store. 1999, he's bagging groceries. And somehow or another, he gets the invite and he shows up at the St. Louis Rams training camp and history then is done as he he makes the team and not only that but due to injury he becomes the starter and and that launched into what was called the greatest show on turf as they set all kinds of records they went to the Super Bowl they won the Super Bowl and after the 99 season and almost won a second one in 2001 as he came from nowhere and a nobody bagging groceries to being the MVP of the NFL and the MVP of the Super Bowl. But in sports, it's not about what you've done, but what have you done for me lately. And so due to an injury that was mostly undisclosed, he, and just a few years after losing that second Super Bowl, he began to fumble a lot. And every time he would take a hit in the pocket, he would fumble the ball and So the St. Louis Rams replaced him, and he went to the New York Giants, and he was really there to help train Eli Manning, who was drafted, and halfway through that season, Eli Manning took his place, and and then he once again ended up on another team, the Arizona Cardinals, and from there, he figured out what the problem was, and he began to throw the ball with a glove on his hand because of the injury that had happened to his thumb, and he led the Arizona Cardinals to their only Super Bowl appearance in their history, losing in the final minute to the Pittsburgh Steelers. A story of redemption, and in fact, the way that article particularly started is that who has redeemed themselves more in their career than Kurt Warner? It's a great story. It's a feel-good story. It's like most things in the United States. You can be a nobody and end up president. Or you can end up being not very good and just work hard and through circumstances and your hard work, it pays off and you end up being a success. And maybe the thing I liked about Kurt Warner the most was he was an outspoken Christian. He didn't really mind if you knew that. He would tell everybody about his Christian faith. And, but it is a story of redemption. To redeem, redeem is a verb mostly it means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something you redeem something to do something that compensates for a poor past performance or behavior or to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment or the word redemption the noun the action of saving or being saved in a spiritual sense from sin or error or evil and we use the word redeem, it's a, it's a common word in the English language now, but it's primarily because we serve a God who is a redeeming God. We serve a God who redeems His people. We serve a God of redemption, and when we're saved and brought into relationship with Him, we are now redeemed. So what does that look like? How does that play out? Through from Genesis 3 until Revelation 22, the whole Bible is all about redemption. When Adam and Eve sin and they fall in the garden, it is all about God redeeming mankind and bringing man into relationship with Him and helping them get back to what He called them and created them to be, 
what He called us and created us to be. He is in the redemption business. We find this redemption of God in this passage of Scripture. It is, in fact, the point of the whole book of Jonah. It is about God's redemption. That when Jonah disobeys God, God doesn't just allow that, but he, as we looked at last week, he goes after him and he brings him back and restores him into relationship. And when Jonah repents in the, in the belly of that fish, God's like, all right, that works for me. Let's vomit you out on the dry land. Because he's about redemption. He's about bringing people back into right relationship with himself. So Jonah has repented and I want to bring three aspects of chapter 3 to your attention. And that is, the first one is this, is that even though Jonah has repented, God's command must still be fulfilled. That Jonah is on the shore, he's saying goodbye to the fish that was his home for three days and three nights. I'm sure he smells, maybe not, maybe God just cleaned him up. God does things well. I heard a preacher one time, a long time ago. I'm starting late preaching. I probably shouldn't tell all these rabbit stories here. But guy, he was talking about Peter getting his ear cut off, you know, there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus picks it up and puts it back on there and tunes it up real good. The guy probably had perfect pitch from then on that, that God always goes above and beyond. So maybe Jonah doesn't stink like a fish. I don't know. But there he is on the beach dry land, and God speaks to him the second time. It says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. He doesn't say to Jonah, well, you know what, you've been through enough. You should have obeyed me the first time, you've been through enough. You repented, I forgave you, we're all good. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you've been through a lot. It's your own fault. You repented. I forgave you. Now go and do what it was I told you to do in the first place. I've been amazed dealing with kids. I won't even say my kids, just any kids. If you're ever in charge of kids, you know, sometimes they don't want to do what you tell them to do. And then they get in trouble. And what I've said is this. You can do what I'm telling you to do, or you can get in trouble and still do what I'm telling you to do. Like, wouldn't it be better just to do it? Save yourself the trouble? Because you're going to do it. It's going to happen. It's not a question. It's not like you get a, a spanking. Not that I condone such things for those of you watching on Facebook. I may have lived those, but I don't. And, and you're still going to do it. And that's what Jonah is. He did all of this stuff, and guess what? God's saying, all right, now that I've forgiven you, you didn't die, go and do what I told you to do. That his command must still be fulfilled. That saying I'm sorry doesn't remove the command. Repenting doesn't remove the obligation for obedience to the gospel or obedience to the voice of God. And furthermore, I don't really know where Jonah is vomited up on the dry land. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I would venture to say this, that he is now further from Nineveh than he was when he started. 
that as, as we looked at the first week of August, that Nineveh is in northern Iraq. It's a long way from a beach. This fish is probably not finding a river and swimming around the globe and coming up a river and going right up to Nineveh and just spitting him out and going, all right, now, now he's now probably further away than when he started. And, and so I would tell you that obedience at first is better than obedience second. After having to go through all God's chastening, obey first. And, and for Jonah, understand this, that God's command must still be fulfilled and Nineveh's a long ways away. But this is a, a message of redemption. And so I will leave that. But the second point is this. It's that God's message has no if. I'm intrigued by God's messages frequently. As you see God, the word of the Lord will come to a prophet or the word of the Lord will come to an individual and God just says he doesn't go, now if you do this and this and this and this, and then I'll do this over here. He just throws out his message. And in this case, he does the same thing. Jonah enters the city. No matter, no telling how many days it took him to get there, but he enters the city. And his message is this. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And because Jonah hates the Ninevites, he's probably saying it with glee. Hey, in 40 days, you're all going to die. I, I can imagine him doing that because he doesn't like these people. There is no 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed unless. There was no 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed if you don't repent. It's just a message of destruction that God is going to wipe them out. And what has, another thing that, I'm, I guess I'm easily intrigued, but another thing that's intriguing about this whole story is, why did they believe Jonah? They don't serve Jonah's God. They hate Jonah as much as he hates them. Why? Did they believe Jonah? Now, a couple weeks ago, I referenced the, the VeggieTales Jonah movie. And, and if you watch the VeggieTales cartoon of Jonah, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to do that. It's not exactly true to the biblical story, but it's quite entertaining nonetheless. And, and they paint this picture that part of the reason that they believe Jonah is because they actually worship these fish gods. And Jonah comes out and he smells like a fish. And so, they, they believe this message that this guy who came out of a fish, and of course they paint the, you know, they, as though everybody knows where he came from. And I would tell you, I don't believe any of that at all. But I, I think it's more likely that this, they knew about Jonah's God. That they didn't serve Jonah's God, and they had their own gods, but they knew about Jonah's God. And we have evidence of that in Scripture from Jericho, when, when the spies go in, Rahab says, we know what your God has been doing, and, and, and we don't want to fall hand a prey to that God, and so I don't want to fall prey, she says, so I'm going to save you, because I know the stories that we've heard are true, and when your God decides to do something, nothing can stand in His way. 
And so maybe that's why the Ninevites all of a sudden go, well, you know what? We don't want to be destroyed. And if his God is saying it's going to happen, that we believe it. And so they begin to repent. Maybe God sends a spirit of conviction. And maybe God's spirit accompanies Jonah's preaching. And they're convicted of their sin. And they know that it's true. But does God idly threaten We've already read the end of the chapter. You know that God doesn't actually do what He said He was going to do. Does He offer idle threats? I sometimes have offered idle threats. You don't do, do this or else. And really what I mean is do this or I'm going to tell you again. And I'm going to tell you again and again and then I'll finally get tired of telling you and then something may happen. Does God do that? Does He say, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed? And Nah, just kidding. When 40 days comes, well, we're just, just kidding. Let's do it again. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But I don't believe that God ever idly threatens. He doesn't say things that He doesn't mean. But I would tell you this, and this is the most important piece of the message and the truth that we're bringing out of this, is that God's purpose is ultimately fulfilled. That his message of destruction was designed to be a warning. He doesn't give an if. He doesn't say an unless. But the history or the text of Scripture is clear that God often will say this is what's going to happen. And there is an implied unless you repent. There's an implied if you don't get your act together. This is what's going to happen. But because God is a God of redemption, He sends them a warning and says, 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed unless you repent. And maybe God told Jonah to say that, but Jonah doesn't say that. He just preaches the punishment and the judgment of God. This is what God's going to do. But I would tell you that God is a God of redemption. And as I mentioned, from Genesis 3 until Revelation 22, it's all a story of redemption as God is bringing people back into relationship with Himself. You've heard me mention this with Ezekiel. He says to Ezekiel, I'm going to destroy my people. I'm going to send them into captivity unless I can find somebody to stand in the gap make up the hedge, and ask me not to do it. That their sin and their disobedience says I should destroy them because I am a God of justice, I am a God of righteousness, I am a God of holiness, and I should destroy them, and I'm going to unless somebody will just ask me not to do it. That somebody will just repent and call on me and say, hey, please don't do us, forgive us of our sins. And he says, I'm looking For somebody to do that because I really don't want to destroy them. Because I'm really a God of redemption. I'm a God of restoration. I'm a God who loves people. Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that God says I can't go and destroy them. Without telling my friend Abraham. I can't just go wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. I need to tell my friend Abraham. Abraham and I'm sure you know all know the story but when when God sends that message and it's through these angels and he said this is what's going to happen 
Abraham says if there's 50 people, 50, just 50 righteous people out of probably a city of a thousand, would you spare the city? He said, I'll spare the city. And Abraham, knowing there's not 50, he says, well, would you do it for 40? God, I'll do it for 40. Would you do it for 30 and 20 and 10? He gets all the way down to 10 and says, would you do it for 10? And God says, if there's 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. If he'd have went to five, guess what? Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared. That God's not telling Abraham because Abraham's so important. I mean, he's running the universe out here. He doesn't go tell Abraham, oh, by the way, I just created a new star over there. I thought you should know. But he goes to Abraham because he wants Abraham to say, would you spare these people your judgment? Because he's a God of redemption. He says, would you spare them? And Abraham stops at 10. And still, God says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spare the city, but I'll spare your family out of the city. Because he's a God of redemption. God tells Moses, Moses is on the mountain. It's on Mount Sinai. And while he's up there receiving the Ten Commandments and he's having this glorious experience, the people are down making a golden calf and calling it Yahweh and they're worshiping this golden calf. And God says to Moses, I'm going to go and wipe them all out. I'm just get rid of them all, man. I'm going to start over. And of course, Moses, he begins his petition with God. And, and it's not that Moses is such a great negotiator. He's not the Donald Trump of the day. But he begins to negotiate with God. And ultimately, God spares the people. But, but understand this, that we serve a God who knows all things. Moses can't come up with an argument in God, but man, I never thought of that. People are going to think bad of me. I really shouldn't do this. No, but what I would tell you is this, is that God's purpose is accomplished. He's, I'm going to wipe them out because of their sin. But if I tell you, Moses, guess what you're going to do? You're going to petition me and you're going to ask me to spare them. You're going to repent for them. And God's purpose of redemption is accomplished because he tells Moses. He doesn't say, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out unless you make some really good arguments. Moses, I'm going to wipe them out unless you can convince me otherwise. But what he's doing is like, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. And what he's leaving unsaid is, I don't really want to do it, so please ask me. But the God of the universe knows exactly what he's going to do. And so his purpose in telling Moses is fulfilled because he doesn't wipe them out, which is what he wanted to accomplish all along. And it's the same way with Nineveh. He sends a message of destruction. God is not taken by surprise like, man, I never thought these people would repent. He knows exactly what's going to happen when he sends his message of destruction. And that is that they're going to repent and they're going to petition him and they're going to ask him to spare their city. And God wants to spare Nineveh. Therefore, he sends a word of destruction 
saying you better change. In essence, what he's saying is I'm going to destroy you unless you change. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's not just a New Testament promise that is the god of the universe who doesn't change who's the same yesterday today and forever it has always been his plan that none should perish but all should come to repentance because he is a god of redemption but as paul said in Acts 17 at the time of ignorance god winked at it but now commands all people everywhere to repent And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, it is through the foolishness of preaching. Or maybe more accurately, the translation should be, it is through the foolishness of the message preached that God saves people. That we preach a message that says this, God is just and God is righteous God is holy and you are not and you're going to spend an eternity apart from God unless that there is destruction coming unless that there is an eternity in hell unless you come into relationship with God unless you believe and act on and follow and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ that we say through that message, through preaching a simple message of both bad news and good. There's no good without bad. Nobody comes to Jesus unless they think they're going to hell. Maybe we should if we loved him. Maybe if we should come more for love instead of to escape hell. But that's the way most people do. When I was 11 years old, I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I was scared to death Jesus was coming before that night was over. And I finally said, I, I want to do whatever it takes. And that's the, the reality for many, is until they get to such a place of rock bottom that they don't want to come to Him. But whatever it takes, it's through the message, of, the message that is preached that people are saved because God is a God of redemption. And in Nineveh, His purpose is fulfilled. He doesn't set out to destroy Nineveh. He sets out to save Nineveh. But He does it through a message of destruction. As the musicians come, understand that we serve a redeeming God. He's not a God who changes His mind just on a whim. But the whole purpose of Jonah going to Nineveh was so that Nineveh would be spared God's judgment. So as we stand together, I want to point out one unique thing. The story I opened with was Kurt Warner and his redemption story. And in our culture, almost every way in which redeemed or redemption is used, it is by an individual who redeems themselves. He's bagging groceries, but man, he, he wins the Super Bowl and he's the MVP. And 
He redeemed himself. He, he made up for all of his bad things or his lack of talent or lack of success. And now he's at the pinnacle of success. But Christianity is not like other redemption stories. In Christianity, you don't redeem yourself. You don't all of a sudden decide, you know what, I think I'll start living good and I'll live right and I'll, I'll live this way and that way and I will redeem myself. There is no self-redemption when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is this, that we can never do enough good to offset our bad. We can never do enough good to offset what we have done and how we've lived and how we've disobeyed God and how we've gone against His justice and His holiness and His righteousness. But in the message we preach, God is the one who redeems us. He is the one that says, I know you've got all these faults and all these flaws, but, but I through the person of Jesus Christ, lived a holy and sinless and perfect life in your place. And I'll give you that righteousness if you come into relationship with me. He is a God of redemption. He is a God who redeems us when we can't do it ourselves. He does it for us. When we can't come to Him, He comes to us. When we can't get to God, He says, here's the way and here's the path, and He sends people to us. We serve a God of redemption. He alone is the author of redemption. And I don't want to get ahead of myself and preach part of next week's message, but just also let me throw this in. He has committed unto us that same message of reconciliation. That same message of redemption where we bring people into relationship with Him. Aren't you glad that we serve a redeeming God? Aren't you glad that we don't have to redeem ourselves? We don't have to pull ourselves up and we don't have to start living holy on our own. We don't have to live righteous. But He gives it all to us. And He gives us, when we're filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, He gives us the power to live like He wants it is that other comforter. As Jesus said, I don't leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. How is he doing? He comes through the person of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I will help you to walk and be everything that I've called you to be. And I, I trust that most of you have been redeemed. And you understand redemption. But if you're not sure if you've been redeemed, let me just tell you that the way in which you get that redemption is the same way that the Ninevites got spared. It's that you just tell God, I'm sorry for all of the things that I've done. I'm sorry for the things I've done that are against your word, against your law. I'm, the Bible calls it repentance when you turn from your way to his way. When you turn from following your plan to his plan. And nobody comes to Him unless you repent. You can't have Him in the world at the same time. You can't come to God and say, I want to keep doing all of my sin, but I, I just want you to save me. No, it doesn't work that way. 
you can say the words, but it's just words. But when you repent of your sins and when you make a commitment to follow Him, not to just believe that He exists, not to believe that He died for your sins, not to believe, but as Paul and Peter both wrote, it is about an obedience to the gospel that you're going to follow the one whom the message is about. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence and speaking in other tongues, then you have been redeemed. And the God who preaches a message of destruction will cancel his message of destruction and say, I'll give you a message of life. Aren't you thankful we serve a God of redemption today? Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his goodness, for his word. You can stay right where you are today and ask Kim to sing for a moment. And would you just do two things for me? One, if you have been redeemed, would you thank God for his redemption? That his, he has loved you enough to save you and to bring you into a relationship with himself. And, but secondly, if you haven't, I've just laid it out. It's pretty simple. All you have to do is call upon him and God will meet you. God will bring you into relationship with himself. He will fill you with his spirit. Would you do that right now as they sing and play?